What causes me to go for that obsession? Because it's primarily an obsession with self. Yeah? And I would say the root of the problem is being identified as a self. That's the root of the problem. Yeah? And the obsession is just what the identified mind does. Yeah? So to even get past, even to go, so first the allergy, they realized that, so then they went, okay, it's, this is the thing to deal with, is the obsession. We're trying to add on to that and say, no, the obsession is not what you deal with, the identification is what you deal with. Then there's real relief, yeah? Because before they had no idea of the allergy, they didn't know, have any idea of the obsession, they just thought it was will, weak-willed people, yeah? Or they were bad or morally corrupt, yes? Then the discovery was, oh, allergy, brought about by what? An obsession, yeah? The mind upset, and then you do it, and then it kicks in, all right? So obsession is the root of the problem. Obsession with what? Self, with the idea of being you. We're just adding on to it, or actually subtracting it, getting it to its identification as a self. And I find that brings radical relief, because that undermines the obsession. Not only the allergy, it undermines the obsession with the self. Because the obsession with self, to me, is, is generated by interest and attention. And that's because the mind takes it to be about itself. Yeah? It takes the presentation of this idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity as itself, and it's enamored with that. So its interest and attention is bonded to the obsession because it's about me. We're saying it ain't about that. It is about me, but you're not that me it's about. Yeah? And then, so now you can get radical relief all from the obsession, and then you never even get close to setting the allergy off, because now the problem doesn't exist for you. Yeah, because it doesn't exist as you anymore. Not, because the problem will, you can have an experience that it doesn't exist for you, but it won't stabilize, because the identification of self will promote obsession around it. Yeah, it will. But if it's not, if you're not the problem, See, that's what it says in the book. It says, we're not people who have problems. We are the problem. The problem is being identified as the problem. So the problem is seeking relief from the effects of the problem, and that's what keeps the loop going. We're just disengaging from that loop by moving outside that little concentric circle to another solution, which is, you're not that which the mind is obsessing over. And it's obsessing over it because it thinks that you're that. So the solution is based really on the problem. Is you're identified as that and you're not, and that's the solution. And I found it works in an incredible radical way where there's no present, you don't even get close to the allergic possibility. Yeah? Because the obsession has been dismantled, because the interest and attention that fueled that obsession, yeah, that illuminates it, that lights it up, has been removed. Not by you. That would be part of the obsession as being a soul. But it's getting removed. So they say in recovery, you're placed in a position of neutrality. That place of neutrality is non-identification. Identification, as soon as you're identified as a self, like Mark said before, likes and dislikes are part and parcel of the product. The whole format is based on yes, no, good, bad, aversion, desire, all like that. Yeah, so as soon as the self is in place, that becomes its reality. Moving closer, moving farther, based on what it does or doesn't do. 
This is being placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part, which is the driving force of selfing, is thought and effort. You're the doer, yeah? And you're taking the navigational advice from the thought system. We're saying not by thought nor effort. So that's a failed system to arrive at where you are. It's a failed system. No matter how sublime the thoughts are, and no matter how sublime the effort is, it's not, it's not, it doesn't freaking work. You have, there's got to be, in a sense, a recognition of the failed quality of the system, and therefore there's no seeking a solution from the problem, and that's the solution. Yeah. You realize you're not that. So now, allergy is way, way far a lot of space, obsession, a nice amount of space, yeah? It's, you're hearing it, but you're not listening to it anymore. And then you're resting in that position of neutrality. And the problem doesn't exist for you. It, ha- it, it doesn't have any influence anymore. It never falls into the circle of a solution to have a drink or do a drug. Yeah? It's just like it's been erased. It's so, and that's a radical solution. If something that was driving seemingly you crazy for so many years and like tattoo upon tattoo of consequences and just just producing a wave in time that you were going to be at the effect of, especially let's say if you got caught in bureaucracy, it was like living on flypaper, jails, going to court, probation, reporting, this and that. It was, you know, the, its effects would manifest in time. The consequences wouldn't just be sudden, they would have a long life, yeah? And your interest and attention, even if it wanted to be free, was always getting called back, yeah? To, to, to pay attention and be interested in what was happening to you. Because at that point, you're on a consequential level, things seem to be happening to you, yeah? This is a way of, of getting out of it that actually works because there's a recognition you've never been in it. That's, the, that's what brings the timeless quality to it. If I've never been in something, I, it doesn't take any time to get out of it. Yeah. If there's a little flavor of being in it, it can become a long, drawn-out plan to get out. Yeah. One little sense of being in it just equates it to maybe a whole lifetime of trying to get out of it. Jesus. This is truly about saving time. Really, a lot about saving time. Yeah? To sort of see, all right, if the solution is inherent and always so, then really that modality of doing and having is obsolete in this regard. It's just totally obsolete. Yeah? To rely on that would just provoke anxiety and fear because it's an unreliable system concerning what we are. Yeah? You cannot do and have yourself into being. But the selfing believes you can. The selfing believes it's going to become more or less by doing and having. It's as if it's like a, it doesn't have any substantiality, so it can be added to and subtracted from. Yes? But what you are is already whole and complete. It's sort of like polishing the mirror or putting legs on a snake, like you say. It's already so. No matter what the mind says, no matter how much yapping the conditional mind goes, 
The only thing you can do with your interest and attention is make something appear to be so. It can't actually deliver it into soness. It can only make it appear to be so. So false evidence starts appearing real. That's the acronym, one of them, for fear, right? False evidence starts appearing real. But it has to have a you to appear real too. Because it cannot be real. It can only appear to be real. So the false evidence appears real. False evidence is false evidence is not going to be anything other than that, right? For it to appear real, you're the middleman to that negotiation. There has to be a sense of the you there to take false evidence and to live as if it's real. Even though you bring it to people and they're very clear it's not real, usually the mind will hold on to it and make it as real as it can make anything. Which means it can't make it real, but it appears to be so. That's the freedom. That's the availability of the solution. It's only appearing to be so. Cut my lip tongue today and it's still bleeding, man. Took a really nice bite on it. I was eating something and my molars caught a big like a snake and just squished it. Still bleeding over an hour later. I got a great taste in my mouth. Mm. So this person was talking about food addiction. But I would say everyone is recovering from something. And I would say what everyone is recovering from is the mind becoming or acting as if it's identified as a self. Yeah? That, that desire, and you have to see it as a desire, the mind's desire to become something it can never be, because it already is. <laughs> it can't become a body completely. Yeah? Because it's already something. Nothing, really. Yeah? So that desire will never become fulfilled. What is a desire, when, when it happens to you, when you have a desire that's not fulfilled, what does the mind usually do? Tries to fulfill the unfulfillment with another desire. Okay? Once your attention and interest by thinking something's going to save you gets tunneled and that thing seems to fail, what does it do? Go back like this? No, it just moves and locates another desire to go for. Yeah? It never gives up the, uh, the great delusion that something out here isn't going to complete the mission. Yeah? It just switches to the next thing. Yes? And so the desire of mind of wanting to be a self can never become fulfilled, so it spawns all other desires. Yeah? And so for me, my, uh, that original addiction to mind, to self, spawned the addictions to alcohol and drugs and everything like that because I had the potential to be addicted. All I found is a different thing to be addicted to. Yeah? Because I wasn't getting the relief I wanted. And I'll tell you something, without getting the relief I needed, the imperative was to get relief. It was the overriding thing in my life. Something was definitely wrong and I wanted relief from it. Yeah? When I got into drugs and alcohol... The society would try to stop me, but all they gave me was punishment. They said, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to go to jail. That wasn't sufficient to stop me, because they didn't give me a substitute. They just said, we're going to punish you. I needed relief. That was the dilemma. Yes? Yet, I needed relief from what needed relief. I didn't know that. So I was busily shopping and trying to get relief 
for this thing that eats relief like a bacteria eats probiotic, influential bacteria. It'll feed on it. You're thinking you're doing something good. You're feeding the thing you want to get rid of. You know what I mean? It's insane. <laughs> that was I just that's what I shared with that guy from the veggie fest. I said talked to him about when I uh because I had a dilemma in my gut for so long, I would basically try to do anything after a while. So they told me gotta get it probiotics in there. So I got I bought the most expensive probiotics from Canada, it came in a little thing with the milk, and had like fifty trillion you know, beneficial flora things. And I took it religiously, and it was a lot of money for a year and a half. And then I said, all right, I didn't, you know, I was making up stories. I think I'm feeling better, but I really freaking wasn't feeling better. So I, I had a, I got in touch with a lab, and they sent me this little uh, procedure thing, and I took some shit for three days and sent it to the Smoky Mountain Labs. And I had them check my shit to see what was going on. And when they sent me this thing back, they said there was absolutely no sign of beneficial flora in my intestines. And I said, how the hell could that be? I just spent like thousands of dollars throwing 50 trillion of them in every day. Where did they go? And they said, well, there's something in there, these two other bacterias that are feeding on it. So I was actually giving them the greatest gourmet dishes, but with the belief I was trying to get better. Yeah? That's addiction. That's addiction. And by not knowing what was really going on, my my desire to do something right was the biggest wrong thing I could possibly do. <laughs> That's the loop of addiction, is right. Because then you go back to the same faulty mechanism and rely on it again and it gives you another freaking plan. Well, actually, there is no choice because the neural processing system, the neuroplasticity works with cells across the link and dopamine goes across and the identification with self is on this end and this end. But the true nature is emptiness in the middle. But what happens is every time the dopamine, one is seeking relief from this, it goes to this the next time, only half the amount goes across. Then half of that goes across. And then this is desire increases by exponential. So in the addiction, because of the attachment to this and this, I need this. And once the identification is, like you say, it jumps to another, they're actually neural banks. It'll jump to another neural bank. Like you quit doing drugs and you still have the obsession you'll go to this neural bank, you know, porn or sure. stuff, you know. But ultimately, it has to be a choice where one recognizes the nature, that this nature is not truth. The truth is the empty gap that goes across, likes and dislikes, that they exist in emptiness. But we're, we're built to be deceived. It's a foreign installation where we have... We have we're polar. We are we are hooked into this likes and dislikes on a cellular level in the brain. So the game is afoot. And you know, oh the only thing I heard, I've ever heard that there's an automatic solution, a compass, without the help of God, Buddha, AA, anything, a mind that says don't know is out of the game. It's stepped off the table. 
Well, the thing is, when it's out of the game, it realizes it was never in the game. That's how. That's the whole point. Know. So what we're doing here is enter, just entertaining the possibility we're never in the game. Yeah. Just don't know. Just don't know. But it's not you not knowing. Just, just don't, don't know. know. Just don't know. Just don't know. Hey, hello. How are you? Haven't seen you in a long time. Okay. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> we have a token lovely woman yes. I have to pay now every week. Yes. <laughs> we get these conceptualized no feelings here. No feeling the way of the the way. It's all yes. But we're talking about the same thing we always talked about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I heard you, I was the other week and I heard you up the stairs and you said you were talking about um, feeding the very thing, giving it the good normal meal. Yes, yes, yes. You're feeding the beast with the idea that you're actually starving it. Yes, yes. That's the whole point of self can't get out of self. So while you're, let's say, studying up, you know, how to get out of the obsession with self, that's a huge level of obsession with self. So there's no way where that little conundrum becomes a non-conundrum. Yes? Self can never get out of self. Self's never going to place itself out of the system that's making it. <laughs> because it's not a self. It can't leave what's producing it. So the mental produ process produces the sense of a self. And it can only have that sense of self in the mental process. In this realm. It can't leave. Yeah? Because it doesn't exist to leave. That's the beauty. <laughs> so we're busily trying to leave, which is actually the realm that causes it to seem to exist. Yeah? When there's one movement away, that thing seems to be real. Yeah? It's like a weird predator or prey. It has you by you moving away from it. Yeah? While you're trying to get away from it, that's when it seems real. If you would just stop in your tracks and what we have pauses, you know, if you could just... That, you know, just really not have a pause, but be one with that pause, or be that pause, yeah? That, that's sufficient to cut that whole system out, yeah? That's the beauty of a pause. The, 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 I, the sense of a pause is a timeless event in this line of time, yeah? It's like, it's like the ladder dropping down, <laughs> you know what I mean? It really is. It's like, it... It gives you the flavor that time can't produce. It gives you the flavor of timelessness, yeah? And something about you knows timelessness, knows it deep down. The mental condition knows time, but in a very, very shallow, in, you know, intellectual reasoning way. The aspe another aspect of mind knows timelessness in a very deep, like, unspoken yes way. Yeah? So, in that one recognition of a pause that looks like just maybe a second or ten seconds, a huge amount of information can download that will affect you for years and years here, or, or affect what you're manifesting as for years and years and years. Your whole life can change in one pause. Yeah? That's how much oomph is there. That is accessible, because we are of that. Yeah? This mental process is just an activity in that realm. Yeah? The realm, even though we're addicted to the movement, you know, like the boredom that looks exciting, all that energy, we're addicted to that. In the stillness, is really is just surrounding it. Like when you hear a note in this room, the, what emphasizes the note is the stillness. Yeah. The silence is actually 
The note is encased in the silence, and the note actually points to where it comes from, which is the silence. And then the silence, in a sense, gets deafening. Yeah, it's like I—I uh, I was someone sent me a link to this this statement in uh, Facebook. So I was reading the statement. I said, "This sounds pretty good." And then underneath it, it was a slash, and my name was there. I, somebody had posted it. I said, Jesus Christ, did I say that? But it was, sounded really pretty good. And it was about when I was on that, you know, that tear about seeing nothing, when I would be seeing, seeing nothing, that sense of nothing, like the mind, the mind's eye, just like these two eyes see things, the mind's eye sees nothing. Yeah? And in that seeing nothing, there's a sense of presence of the space that we take to be empty. And so in that seeing nothing, it produces an immunity to all the importance given to things. Just like in, in Course in Miracles, it says, you and I give everything all the meaning it has. And it states a, a nice way of stating it. says, you and I are the dreamer of this dream, and we forgot we've dreamt it, and we've given everything we dreamt all the power to affect us. So in other words, it's basically saying where we're at is giving the meaning to what we think is here. Yeah? And we're dancing with our own, with the mind's own meaning. It's given things. There's no actual inherent separate entity we're dancing with. It's all a, like a like a screen that our projections are landing on and taking a form, and then we're dancing with that. So self is dancing with self. That's why it's so fucking bored, I guess. You know, really, deep down. It's always looking for another partner, but they all turn into self. <laughs> So, but in this sense, that one eye, if you want to call it the one eye, that eye of mind, it sees nothing. It's not seeing these things. This, this, this body's facilitating seeing in a form of looking, yeah, which is you're the subject seeing an object. Yeah? But at the same time, because it's timeless, the mind is seeing nothing. At the exact same moment, of every moment you think you're in, after you parceled it out and partitioned it, it's the same timeless event. In that timeless event, mind is seeing nothing, which is the immunity to all the things, all the engagement with things as a thing. They're only going to get lighter when it's engagement with a thing as no thing. Yeah? It's never going to get, it may get light, but then it'll get heavy if the same situation's in place. I'm relating to a thing as a thing. It's going to get heavy. <laughs> really. Because that thing could become the source of my happiness. So if that thing isn't located where I am, I'm now living bereft of the source of my happiness. That's going to produce exquisite suffering for the mind, eh? But if the no-thingness is sense, then you have immunity, not to things, but to the meaning the mind has given to the things. Yeah? You're totally, constantly still engaged with things, but you're not so much engaged with that same old meaning that the conditional mind was giving all the time. So every person you meet doesn't refer back to your mother every second of the day, or you're, you know, something that once happened to me. And then your life is not filled with resentments, which means to re-feel. Well, all thoughts are like re-thoughts and re-feeling and re-this and re-that, yeah? Everything is getting rehashed over and over and over again because the same basis is in place. I'm the one who's doing everything. I'm the one who's seeing, yes? And you're what I'm seeing, yeah? So that subject-object split, it's like we were talking the other day. Let's say the wholeness is spacious, yes? You want to call it one, but I don't, I don't care. I like it no thing, but... Let's say there's one, yeah? 
And then manifestation is occurring. And in manifestation, right now, we can at least note two aspects of manifestation. There's obviously something we can't see that's manifesting, something that's fueling this life called conscious contact. Yeah? Like consciousness is, is allowing contact to be noted. Yes? So consciousness, something that can't be seen. So an aspect of no-thingness, which is close to no-thingness, is manifesting. And then there's bodies that are manifesting. Yeah? So the no-thingness, in our experience, seems to be two things. There's consciousness, something that you can't, you know... You, you may believe that you're the one that's seeing, but in a little bit of investigation it will become... You know, it won't hold much water. Because if you took a, you know, my eye out of this, if this body was dead and you took it out and it wasn't seen anymore, if you put it in a live body, you would see. It would facilitate seeing. So obviously it's not the body that's seeing. It's not the eye. Something's facilitating it and you really can't see what that is. But it's manifesting here. Yeah? And then there's the bodies that are manifesting. So now the one seems to be two. Right? Form and emptiness. But emptiness and movement, consciousness, yes? All right? And the mental process recognizes the situation and weds the two. It takes the consciousness and marries it with the body and calls it me. Yeah? So now the you, the body, gets the attributes of the I, the consciousness, but now it's bastardized into a me. So now the body is put in the position of the one who's conscious. So I... When I say I, I'm actually referring to a me. Yeah? The I isn't referred to the I all on high spirit awareness consciousness. It's to the body. And now I'm taking this body to be the one that's doing the spirituality, the conscious contact. I'm conscious. I'm seeing. I'm hearing. I'm feeling. Yeah? So now I have a trinity. You want to call it an unholy trinity. So it came from oneness, broken into two-ness, you know, duality, manifesting, but the mental process makes it a freeness. It takes the one and the other and combines it and makes it me. <laughs> yeah? I would say that's where the rub is, you know? That's where, that's where the discomfort lies, is in the me. That's the mother and that's what's giving birth to all addictions, is the wanting to get relief from the me. Yeah? But as long as the me is taken to be me, there'll be no way I can get to the I except as a me, and that ain't getting to the I. Because there's no getting to the I, you are the I. And as long as I, there's no way I'm going to be able to recognize what's really going on with the you, because I have a lot of ideas about it, because it's me. <laughs> this shouldn't be happening to me. Instead of being moved to do something about it, you're just stubbornly, this shouldn't be happening to me. You know, I'll just ignore it. I'll just avoid it. You know, fuck it. Why is, you know, yeah, the me. So what would, and then the me is sucking a lot of attention and interest. You gotta get that, you know. I mean, the me, its mean, its main uh, amphitheater is the head. And in the thought system, most of our attention is there. Yeah. Our interest and attention is following the, that, those little impulses of energy that have been coated with language called thoughts. And we're listening intently because we're hoping it's going to inform us of our world and us and others so that we can get what we need, which is what? Relief from what's seeking. Yeah? But we're, re we're trying to re get relief for it instead of from it. That's the dilemma. Because we still are rooted in the idea that me is really me. 
Yeah? Even if you, you want to have an experience of the non-me, you want the me to be there when it happens. <laughs> you just, it's very difficult to, to exclude it from the story as the me. The me will write itself into every little point. <laughs> but if you're not that, man, find out. Find out if you're not that me. See what happens in your life. Yeah? The you will maybe seem much clearer as a you, and the I may be honored as what you are. Yeah? Never to be able to be seen, because all you are is the seeing. All you are is the hearing. All you are is the feeling. All you are is the consciousness that's in contact. There's no one who's conscious that's in contact. There's just consciousness. There's just awareness. Yeah? So you're never going to get a picture taken of you. You're never going to be able to frame it and have your ancestors with you. You're never going to see it. Yeah? But you can sense it with the one eye. You can actually see it with the one eye because when you see nothing, that's your original face. When you're seeing nothing, you're seeing from what you are. When you're seeing nothing, that sense of you, of what you really are, is the presence you call a spiritual presence. That's what I am, is that presence. So once you cut out all the time and space that separates it from you, then you're going to be able to entertain or be there because it's right where you are at all times with no requirement necessary to meet it because you are it. That's a pretty nice access point where there's no need to access it because you can't unaccess it. But the one dilemma I found with the whole thing when I hear messages like this was the identification aspect. Because you don't know you're identified while you're identified. So it seems like you're going towards the truth. Yeah? But you're not that. The truth is not an object to you as that false subject. In a, more, in a clearer sense to me, you are the truth. Yeah? I don't want to have an experience of the truth. Basically, truth is having all these experiences, really. But see, the idea of of being that different someone always makes nothing into something. And as soon as nothing is made into something, it's disguised. You can't see it for what it is. You see it for something. As something that's going to save you from this or give you an advantage in all these areas. It's it's looked at as almost like an accessory to your divine oneness. If I was more conscious, I probably not, wouldn't get so bummed out when that person leaves me. So these, the drives to know yourself as, you know, as some high kind of state is, is one of the more subtle ways to, to uh, produce a reality of being separate from it. Yeah. So. And I found if that, that idea... We were just talking about it with uh, alcoholism. Because, you know, in 35, that Dr. Silk work had a really good idea. He worked with many, many alcoholics. And he, he gave them the, uh, the idea that it was a disease. That it was an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. Yeah? And we were just talking about how once the allergy starts, there's no point of talking to that person. Because it's best just to let them, you know, maybe make sure they don't get killed. But... They're going to do what they're going to do until they're burnt out, you know. And then it has its run, and then it goes back to the primary condition, which is the obsession. 
over self that's going to cause or drive you to drink. Yeah? Because you're going to try to manage yourself out of something you can't manage yourself out of, which is what you're identified as. So their idea was, all right, obsession's the root of the problem, and it's worked pretty well. We're just trying to add on to it and say, no, it's identification as a self. Yeah? And if you're not that self, the bet you'll get the clearest way out of the obsession because you'll lose interest in it. Yeah? It's the interest in it because you believe it's you doing it or you, it's about you that keeps the keeps that light on, basically. If the interest would be dismissed and I found it worked by realizing I'm not that, then that whole place, it keeps running, but there's no uh, lighting. It's, yeah. You hear it, but you don't listen to it anymore. Yeah. So I find, okay, then you're really distant from the problem. So the problem doesn't exist for you and it can radically sh stay that way because it doesn't exist as you anymore. And that's a damn good solution, really. Yeah? That, to me, is what allows you to be free-range. You're like a free-range alcoholic. Yeah? It doesn't mean you leave the coop, but you don't need the coop. Yes? You're free, inherently free. Not as an experience, but as a state. Yeah. And by the, the fruit, you know the tree. You know you're on to something because you got the relief, finally. I mean, radical relief. We've been conditioned to accept such flimsy solutions. They're usually shot full of time. They don't last long. You get a little high, but then the, the drive is, well, i got to do more of it. You know, retreats, meditation, do whatever. And more and more becomes the answer, the mantra. More, 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 more concentration, more of this. It's never-ending. This is like you're freed from the need to be liberated. Because what you're not is what needs to be liberated. And how you can be liberated by from that is realize you were never bound to it. Yeah. There's no need for an event of liberation. You've never been bound. They said I was reading this thing about, about Brain Book, and they, they were talking about uh, uh, babies. So babies, uh, it's around the 18th month mark where the sense of self starts formulating, and they and they sort of the brain starts, you know part of the mental process starts I feel like it's an organizing principle to make sense of everything and they said it's very funny they don't know if it's got any kind of connection but the language center also starts developing at 18 months so for me the constant uh, reapplying of the trance which is language yeah, because we're using a subjective language and we're objects really so it's such a constraint even to share because it's always I, me, yes? And it's sort of like if, if that is going on unnoticed, it can be very uh, seducing. It's like, it's like a, a weird lullaby to the, to the mind. It goes out in a way. It 
consciousness becomes it, it takes a conscious state which is truly unconscious to be what's happening because you're unconscious of your own nature yeah and that's that swan song that siren song's on all day yeah. k-paul or you know k k like hmm? i was going to say it looks like the the eye thought is the wave coming out of the nothing ocean yeah yeah exactly and then the intention or whatever the resting leaves the ocean and goes on to the individual wave and then as a real like sort of ironic twist the wave may want to know the ocean <laughs> but it wants to know it as a wave <laughs> which really really puts a damper on ever getting to know the ocean truly on the way Ramana Maharshi says to know God is to be God so to know the ocean is to be the ocean not if you're a wave anyway. <laughs> so I think it's better just to see if you're a wave or not if you're not the wave that's the ocean. And that, to me, that's a very high-level form of knowledge. To know is to be, instead of to know is to be a knower thereof. No, no, no. Yeah? To, to know is to have. Yeah? To, 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 uh, to know God would be, I'm a knower of God. I'm a lover of God. It's still, all the emphasis is on you. Yeah? But he's saying to know God is to be God. That's so incredible. Fast, yeah? No be, yeah, no pro- He didn't say to know God and then here's your 30 year way of being God. He says to know God is to be God. I like that. Because one thing I'll tell you, the conditional mind is drenched in time. The sense of time is very, very, very a huge influence here in the way the conditional mind runs. It gives like the rat-like legs to it all day. It's always scurrying you. You know, checking, what do I need? What, how can I accrue value? How can I cover my ass? It's really, really quite agitated. Yeah? Even though the situation may be beautiful and very, like, uh, conducive to peace and relaxation, the monkey mind has a difficult time because it doesn't live here. It lives in a mental here, which is made of time. So it, the there and then has a huge influence in it for it. So it's always seeking the next banana or ruminating over why it lost the other banana or why that guy got a bigger bunch of bananas. Yeah? On and on and on and on and on. I watched it, man. It has a real agitated uh, underlying oomph. Yeah? So you may be pursuing peace, but how can agitation ever find peace? Yeah? You're going to be agitated when you land there. And that's ain't going to be peace. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be wiser to look at what's the source, the, source, the never-ending, seemingly source of agitation. Yeah, I would say the self thing, you know. If you're not the self, maybe that will chill out. So when a moment arises, it doesn't arise, this is all there is, what appears in it arises, you'll be actually there to dance with that instead of be planning the next dance or I bet you there's a better dance hall down the road, you know, like that. We'll actually be here. Just like when I was a kid, I was there because my mind hadn't set up yet and hadn't thought that it could be somewhere else when I was a kid. I, I wasn't really thinking I could be anywhere other than where I was, and that was a really nice state to be in that wasn't produced 
that I didn't really have any appreciation for it because I thought that this is the way it is. It was a rude awakening when I grew out of that and my mind started running around this idea of this flagpole of Paul, which had a very, very ripped, tattered flag. Something was inherently wrong with Paul and it was just on and on for years and years and years. Yeah. And then, then you hear it, it reaches its crest sometimes in recovery. People come in and they said, I've been, I'm uncomfortable and I have my own skin. What an unbelievable shift from when you're a little kid to then, where you're uncomfortable in your own skin. You're totally identified as this is my own skin, and then to be uncomfortable there, what a place to start every day from. Yeah, it's like it's like starting at negative five. You're lucky if you get to negative one. That would be a successful day. This just plays off, sets up a whole new level of possibility. Like, you're okay. Yes, you are. If people like you, you're okay. If they don't like you, you're okay. If you were really bad yesterday, you're still okay. If you really believe you're going to be bad tomorrow, you're still okay. If you have a history of being bad, you're still okay. No matter how many little yappings that does, it can never actually be so. It can only appear to be so. Yes? It can make you appear to be a loser, but you're not inherently that. Yeah? It can make you appear to be a winner, and you're neither that either. Yeah? You're neither that either. Mm-hmm. You're neither that neither that's either that neither. <laughs> You're neither or neither of them. Neither either, neither. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, any questions? I'll just. Uh, I must be talking loud tonight. Maybe I should shut the door. <laughs> Don't want to disturb them down there. No, I was hanging out in the stairwell. Oh, you were? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, Paul, about, um, you were saying about um, realizing um, that you're not the self. Um, as a means of doing that, or what facilitates that, um, seems to me, is literally investigation, searching for that self, within you, that you believe you are, and, and which invariably has to, if it's earnest and whatever, has to produce the effect. There is now such an entity. It's, it's a, you find a bunch of thoughts, preferences, memories, uh, mental constructs of all kinds, um, but other than that, there is no self. So to me, what helps me realize that is the phantom-like nature of the entity that I take myself to be. You know, when I look for it, okay, there is no such a thing. Just, you know, all I find is a bunch of thoughts, you know, memories, whatever, stuff like that, very flimsy, that keeps on changing, it's got no substance, uh, 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 lasting, like you said, a long-lasting substance. So that's easier to give up when I realize, well, there is nothing to give up to. I mean, that person uh, or entity never existed, and it never will exist, and it's just kind of um, uh, it facilitates that whole concept of not um, believing me to be whatever long-lasting separate entity to realize that you know okay well let's find that who might believe I am it ain't there there's nothing.
Yeah. I think, like, my friend, I don't know if he's my friend, but Sam, <laughs> uh, he talks about view and vision, you know? I think the difference between view and vision is grace, really. Mm-hmm. There's a point where the I don't know is really rings true, because you can put yourself in a position, like go to meetings like this and stuff like that, to entertain these possibilities. I, I find it's very helpful to, to uh, bring in new possibilities, because the self-centered system is very small, you know. It's got a very limited sense of, poss- of set of possibilities to bring some new ones in, like you're not that, or you're inherently okay, and like that, because this is I will be okay, or I once was okay, yeah, yeah. But uh, I would, I had the sense that like grace, just like what happened when I got sober. Really, I didn't really put much stock on it, but lately it's been been showing up that way. Where the day I was, I got something happened. I was it was a regular day at the office. I swear to God, I had no, there was no thought line about getting sober. I had given up, really. I really had. I'd spent two years in a program. I thought, you know, there's no, it's not going to work for me. Nothing's going to work. And the funny thing is, what I needed most, let's say, could have been AA. I had no idea of AA. I was like the perfect client, yet I had no fucking idea of AA. I walked into a place called the Lancer Street, made a two-year commitment. I could have gone to a meeting, you know. But of course, that's what has to happen. But the thing is, I was just sitting there, really. This was, I, this, I have a strong feeling because things, something happened then. And uh, I was drinking this Royal Gate vodka. And uh, something, I saw the guy as a bum. And then... It looked like he saw me as a bum. Yeah? And that something happened. My mind, the selfing stopped for about two minutes or three minutes. I mean, like a real strong pause. Like, just stopped my movement, that anxiety, that agitation. And uh, as soon as it came in, it was like a CNN news flash, one aspect of it, not a story. And it was, I'm fucked. Yeah? And that was true. That was a true diagnosis, yeah? And some, just some fucking right-on information came in that I am screwed, you know? And did not pick up another drink, and I haven't drank since for almost 24 years. I walked out, which I had no intention of leaving that trailer. I wanted to keep drinking. Walked out, made a call to Delancey Street, asked if I could come back. They said no. Called up someone else to see if they'd help me. And that two minutes or three minutes of a portal set off a train of circumstances that changed this whole action figure's life from that day on. I didn't drink ever I haven't drank since then. I, the next, that night I ended up at a meeting of AA because I wanted a place to stay and I've been sober and clean and a participant in recovery for all those years. Yeah? So, if that ain't, uh, if that fruit ain't pointing to a tree, you know, and for me, it was grace because I had no intention. I had really given up all hope. I, had, I was hunkered down. I was going to try to skirt the three doors of institution, jails, and death as long as I could. And then, but I inevitably knew I was going to be in, in a, you know, die, whatever. And yet, the whole mind changed. Just that one little seed, and everything shifted. So I know, you know, I learned surrender that day, and now I can entertain surrender. Before I got hit by cars, it didn't provoke a surrender. I don't know why. It wasn't my surrender. It wasn't based on circumstances. It was a gift. Yeah? It showed me something. 
I had I was not even privy to it as the yapping Paul. It showed me something. I didn't even know it happened. I just found out later as it manifested. Yeah, but something occurred, and I the best I can come up with is grace. Yeah, and in a sense, all of it is. I entertain possibilities. I don't know what the hell is going to happen, and it's grace if things shift or not, or I can be used or what, whatever. Yeah, it's not a. I didn't come up with this master plan. And all I wanted to do was get high until I died, you know, because uh, I didn't want to be conscious. All that stuff, and yet something changed everything. I mean, that causes a great curiosity in my life. What the, what the hell is that, you know? And then, you know, I adopted the root of the problem as obsession for years, and yet after years, I heard another possibility... And then when I entertained that possibility and went back to the book of recovery, when I saw the word self, the small s self, I saw it as a foreign installment. I did not think about it as a foreign installment. I saw it as a foreign installment. The vision was in place. I didn't have a view. It wasn't like I got a new view. I had a vision about the old view called AA. And then I attempt, what happened is that vision started influencing that view called AA. Yeah, and I and I was in a position to share that that revised view of AA brought about by a vision, not a brought about by a view. Yeah, the vision to me is the grace. That's the real message giver. It may find views to put it in, but it's not the view. The view can sort of tickle the mind, can sort of bring it in the vicinity of the possibility, but the view doesn't become vision. Vision is in and of itself vision. It's not produced by a view. So the view is helpful. It's like a, it's an invitation. It's a message. But the message isn't going to, in a sense, produce anything. Because the vision is already inherently so. We're just so busy looking for it, we can't see. Yeah? So. That had a profound influence on me. Because I realized I have absolutely nothing to do with this. And it, it wore well in the third step of AA, but it out even grew that, which is, you know, I don't have a power, a higher power of my own understanding. I, 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 am, I have a higher power of its own understanding. It reveals what it wants to reveal. I stay in the state of I don't know, which is I, I'm, I'm destined just to fucking find out. And that's a damn good way to learn something here, is to find out. Yeah? Because... <laughs> You know, that's just the way it's been working for me. So the vision infuses a view, but it's not produced by a view. No fucking way. It's inherently, a, it's a positive, you're capable of it. You have two manifesting eyes, you have one my eye that's not manifesting. It's always, always so. And it sees nothing. It sees space. It senses the presence of space, not the presence of things all day. It senses the presence of no thing. Yeah? It has a totally different sense system. Man, I don't know, you know, not like seeing, feeling, tasting, touching, but it's sensing. Yeah, so. Yeah. And it's not over. That's the beauty of it. One little drop can produce like millions of waves. One little drop of this energy can produce millions and millions of waves. I, that one introduction 24 years ago has not ceased. 
it's just relentless. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, to sit there and talk to a VegFest person and then bring it back to this is amazing to me. It's like, you know, it's just mind-boggling. So, thank you.